Welcome to the Ready to Buy podcast. The podcast for busy young professionals like you to help get yourself and keep yourself ready to buy your dream home. Series one is for all of you looking to buy your first home. And whether that's next week, next month, or even next year, we'll walk you through the process and help you build your knowledge, your understanding, and your confidence really help ensure that you have a plan in place and that you're ready to buy when you want to be. The Ready to Buy podcast is brought to you by me, Mark Humphrey of MHC Mortgage and Protection Limited. And with over 20 years of experience in the mortgage industry, we help and support people like you buy their homes on a daily basis. We are passionate about making the process simple, easy, hassle and stress-free for all of our clients and we'll be sharing our knowledge, experience and loads of useful hints and tips throughout the series. We'd love you to get in touch if you'd like some help with your own situation and you can find us at mhcmortgages.co.uk. And to make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe using any podcast app out there, including of course Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Amazon. Welcome to today's episode, Overcoming the Barriers as a First-Time Buyer. Hi, it's Mark, and we're coming towards the end of Season 1, and hopefully we've been a great help in your quest to help you buy your first home. I'm always conscious that we hear a lot about the barriers and the difficulties that first-time buyers in particular struggle with in getting onto the property ladder, So I wanted to talk you through them and address them one by one and really see if we can overcome them. I think one of the big issues tends to be knowledge and understanding and knowing where to start. And I really hope that we've talked to you from the very beginning about getting help, so finding a whole of market mortgage broker, the importance of that help in putting a plan in place, really helping you understand what it is that you can buy, what you can afford, what you need to aim at. Because ultimately, if we have a plan in place, like anything in life, we can understand where we're trying to get to and we can take steps to get there. But we tend to find an awful lot of the barriers when buying your first home essentially come down to your affordability. And so your importance of using a mortgage broker is so important. We've said a number of times that... Every lender will look at your situation and look at you through an ever so slightly different lens. And so it's no exaggeration to say that with some clients, if I compare what one lender with another lender, and these could both be high street lenders, familiar names and institutions that you know well, you might find that one will lend you double the amount of the other. And it might depend on a number of factors, but certainly the makeup of your income, if you've got lots of different parts to it, overtime, bonus, commission, all those types of things. But there are so many other factors to consider. So I'm going to talk you through four main things. So your deposit and the size of your deposit, your income, your outgoings, and your expectations as well play a real key part. Now deposit. So many of you will struggle, particularly, let's say, if you're renting at the moment and you're paying out quite a lot each month, you may not have that much spare 
to put by to save your deposit. And that's an age-old problem. And we find it's exacerbated now over the past number of years where property prices have increased. And of course, a deposit will tend to be a percentage of the purchase price. So the higher the price is, the more that you've physically got to save. Thankfully, we're in a position now where 95% mortgages, so mortgages needing just a 5% deposit, are commonplace again. So the majority of lenders are offering these types of mortgages. So if we think about buying, for example, a property at £300,000, the 5% deposit is going to be 15000 If you're buying at 400000 then 20000 And if you're buying at 500000 Again, depending on where you are in the country, 5% of 500,000 would be 25,000 pounds. So, significant amount of money, and yet for many it is something that is achievable and because I do see it on a daily basis. Now, throughout the pandemic and even before then, I've seen a number of clients that have sacrificed living or maybe renting in a certain area and going back and living with family. And if family are in, lucky enough in a position, for example, not to charge you any rent whilst you save your deposit or charge you a nominal or lower rent, then potentially that's hundreds or even a couple of thousand a month that you can start to be putting into savings each month. And it doesn't take too many months. Where we spoke before about the deposit of 15, 20, 25,000, it's feasible that you could really start to save up a significant amount of money towards your deposit and your buying costs. Now, family really are probably the biggest resource that I find, and the statistics show that the bank of mum and dad are a bigger lender or provide more money in the house buying process than any lender out there. And so whilst not everybody's able to turn to parents or family for assistance, I know from my position, my parents weren't in a position to provide me with funds towards a deposit. But if you're lucky enough, this can really make a big difference. And I would say sometimes it's just a case of having a conversation with family because they don't necessarily know what you need or know what you're looking for. So being as open and honest with family, they may surprise you. I've had situations with clients where they've gone away to family and actually they put money aside or they've been in a position where they were able to go and borrow some additional money on their mortgage where it wasn't adversely affecting them a great deal. It may even be that possibly grandparents could help out if your parents couldn't. So don't always assume that there isn't help there. So be honest, be upfront with family and have that discussion and just see if there's any way of helping you. We spoke last time about the joint borrower sole proprietor mortgage, so the guarantor type mortgage as well. So there are a number of ways that family can help. And most family, if you've got a good relationship, they will do what they can. Your income, of course. So we see for a number of clients, maybe that have got that 5 or 10% deposit that they've saved, it might be income, which is the problem. And Of course, lenders use an affordability calculation. They all use different calculations. But you'll tend to find it works to somewhere between four, maybe four and a half times your gross annual salary. And if there's two of you, four to four and a half times your joint salary. And so you can see if there are two of you, for example, 
your borrowing capability could be significantly more. And what I would say with that is it's always a case of being very sensible and not jumping into things too quickly because understanding the implications of you borrowing together. But also if you talk it through and you decide that that's what you do want to do, there are ways of protecting each other as well. And so, for example, if one of you is putting in all or most of the deposit, there's a legal document that your solicitor can draw up which just protects you. So if something does happen where maybe you don't stay together and one of you opts to buy the other out in the future or you sell the property, the, the one that's put more money in will have that money protected and will be able to, to take your share back out later on. Staying on the topic of income, quite a few lenders now will take future rises in income or future changes to income. So that might be if you've got a pay rise due, if we've got that in writing and it's generally it's going to happen within the next three months, then quite a few lenders will actually take that income as long as it's reasonable. So if it's greater than, say, 10 or 20% increase, then lenders may ask a few more questions just around the feasibility and sustainability of that increase in income. But certainly, if it's in writing, there's a good chance that we can use that additional income. The same would apply if you've actually got a new job role. So I think we've mentioned this in past episodes, but if you've gone for a new job role, again, if you're due to start within the next three months, then a copy of your contract, copy confirming your start date, so even if it's a job offer letter, many lenders will be prepared to take that on the strength of the letter. There is also the reasonability behind it. So again, if it's a rational salary increased, 10 20%, for example, if you're doubling your salary, they may be more reluctant or may ask more questions around it. But certainly, if it's in the same line of work, if it's a, a reasonable and a rational pay rise or, or increase in salary, lenders will tend to lend against that new higher income. In actual fact, I can use an example of a young lady I've recently helped that we looked at all of her options. So she was buying by herself. She had a basic salary of 60000 We looked at the options and actually to buy what she wanted to buy in the area. She lives within London boroughs, so property is a bit more expensive there. We looked and almost worked it backwards to say, actually, to borrow what she needed, given her deposit to get the property that she wanted, she needed a salary of over 70000 Now, appreciate this isn't going to apply to everybody, but she was actually looking for a new role anyway. And it actually focused her job search and she came back to me about three weeks later to confirm that she'd had a new job offer and it was actually for £73,000 and it allowed her to borrow what she needed. And we're now organised in an application having had an offer accepted on the property and it goes to show just those conversations with your broker can actually highlight what you need to do and hopefully go out and do it. But with income too, we talked earlier about variable income and additional income affecting what certain lenders will offer you. And it might be a case, so we've got a number of lenders that will focus more heavily on your recent track record of things like bonus, overtime and commission. And some will simply look at the last three months and average your last three months. They'll tend to sense check it. But if, for example, we know that their affordability calculations are more heavily weighted towards recent conduct, 
then actually that might be the push that you need to go and up the overtime to ask your employer to do more overtime and not just a case of trying to do more overtime to get the mortgage that you want to then stop, but actually to do more overtime to get more income, which in turn helps to get the property you want, but also helps you maintain the property because you're going to need that income going forward too. Definitely not a silly question. Each episode, we like to answer a question that I might have been asked by a client this week because something that we don't know, no matter how big or small, particularly when it comes to money, mortgages and finance, will cause unnecessary stress. So I say to all of my clients, there really genuinely are no silly questions. And so the question this week I've been asked, I've got members of my family that want to give me money towards my deposit. How do we do it? really quite straightforward and there aren't a set number of people that can gift so you could have as many as able so for example a recent client had three different family members all gifting different amounts that's absolutely fine the majority of lenders will stipulate that it must be a non-refundable gift so not be expecting it to be paid back at any time and that they don't expect to have any interest in the property at completion so it really is a true gift now the family members would be expected to sign a letter to confirm this some lenders have their own template that they'll provide that they would need to sign and each family member gifting would need to sign this letter many lenders just use a standard template so you may find that your mortgage broker has a standard template we certainly do at MHC mortgage and protection and would provide that to you and you simply get your family member or members to sign to confirm that. It's also up to your family member how they want to do it. So if they want to transfer the funds to you to have all of your deposit together to then send across to your solicitor before exchange completion, then that's absolutely fine. Some prefer to transfer it directly to the solicitor and that almost sort of cuts out you as the middleman or middle person and just makes it that bit simpler but there's no right or wrong way and it's quite flexible and equally if you're splitting your deposit so part is from savings part is a gift then you provide your savings account statements to prove your part and you get your gifted deposit letters from your family or family members to prove the other part so very straightforward and very common So if you have a question you'd like to ask, anything at all, please get in touch through my LinkedIn page, I'm Mark Humphrey, or via the MHC Mortgages page on Facebook. Not only will I come back to you nice and quickly with an answer, but I promise to try and share your question in future episodes, because you can be sure if you're thinking that question, there'll be plenty of other people thinking exactly the same questions. Now, there are a couple of things that I need to tell you as we're talking money and mortgages. It's important to seek advice for your own individual circumstances, okay? And whilst it might seem really obvious, a mortgage is a loan secured on your home and your home may be repossessed if you don't keep up your mortgage payments. So in other words, if you have a mortgage or when you get a mortgage, pay it on time, you'll be fine.
we said that affordability is crucial and can be a barrier to borrowing what you need and ultimately getting yourself on the housing market and getting the property that you want. But of course, your outgoings will form a fairly large part of your affordability or your overall affordability calculation. Being able to start to reduce some of your credit commitments may actually help as well, as you can imagine. So if you've got credit cards, if you've got a loan, those types of things, you might in conjunction, for example, with moving back home with family, where you're not now paying rent, to start to chip it away at those and get those reduced because the less that you've got and potentially the more that you can borrow. Again, this sort of comes in with getting advice and guidance from a mortgage broker because you might actually find, let's say, for example, you've got a loan of £10,000 that costs you £200 a month. You might find, if you've got that £10,000 that you've saved up, that rather than clearing the loan, it may not affect your affordability by 10,000 it may not affect your affordability at all because some lenders build in a certain tolerance for credit commitments into their general calculations so your advisor will be able to have a look at the numbers do some research and work out with that 10,000 actually is it best put towards your deposit to boost your deposit rather than clearing some debt it might work either way and that's where having those conversations up front to work out the best options will ensure that you're in the best place and make the best use of those funds. And the property itself and your expectations. So I think in an ideal world, and we do talk quite a bit about your dream home, don't we, on the podcast, and we have mentioned that a number of times. And I would say when you're getting onto the housing market for the very first time, sometimes you've just got to adjust your expectations. It may not be that beautiful new build show home for example that you dreamed of where everything's perfect and it's literally you can move in and you don't have to do a thing and that really is okay and actually I personally find it more satisfying to buy a property that isn't a wreck but maybe needs a little bit of work and maybe isn't as beautiful at the very start but it gives you scope to improve it and how satisfying Does that make it when you take time and it doesn't have to all be done in a day? It may take months. It may even take years to get it just how you like it. But how satisfying in a period of time to get a property to how you like it and actually to add value. And for many first-time buyers, it's a case of of buying what you can afford rather than looking at the very top end of the market. I'm sure if you're starting to think about buying a house as well, that programs on the TV like Kirsty and Phil's Location, Location, Location won't have escaped you. And there's always plenty of advice for would-be buyers on there just talking about, actually, it's so right that there are compromises sometimes. So in the perfect world, we'd buy our dream home and we'd buy in the dream location where we want to be. But actually, it might be being open to looking slightly further afield and I think something that the pandemic's probably shown us a bit more is that an awful lot of us do job roles that maybe we don't have to the commute is not quite so important now maybe we're commuting less maybe we're working at home more and so is it so important for us to be living in a certain place so broadening your search and looking at other areas you might actually find that there's an area that you hadn't considered but your dream home is there and it's within your budget as opposed to more locally 
possibly to where you are now, where you've got a really good idea of where you want to buy, it's beyond budget. Or you'll end up with something that's smaller or the property isn't ideal just to stay in that location. So it's being mindful of those few different things. So hopefully that's been really useful in looking at those points and maybe it's not quite so cut and dried and maybe there are some things that you can consider, some things that you weren't aware of and some possible barriers that actually aren't such large barriers to overcome. It's just a case of understanding those barriers, understanding what can be done and where you might need to be flexible, where you might just need to be that little bit more open-minded. And I thought it might be useful just to share my experience of buying my first house or our first house with my wife. It was a number of years ago now, it was actually in 2008, and we were in a position where my grandfather had passed away, my grandmother had moved into a home and she'd sadly passed away at that point. And we had the opportunity to buy their old house, which they'd had from the very start. And we bought it from my parents and uncle. So bought it from family. We bought it at the full market value. But that is something that I've helped a number of clients that have purchased properties from grandparents that have passed away, where maybe family have been in a position where they can offer a small discount, which can then count towards the deposit. So that's another angle sometimes. As I said, this was back in 2008. And so I, at the time, was working for Northern Rock. And those of you that have a good memory of the time, I joined Northern Rock about two or three months before the queues on the bank and all the problems that Northern Rock had and were later nationalised and all the uncertainty around that. And looking back, there's a hell of a lot of uncertainty around my job, for example, but it's something that we pressed on because the time was right for us. I've spoken before about the fact that you have to make decisions based on your own situation and not try and second guess the economy, for example. And so both my wife and I were in good jobs. We'd saved some money towards our deposit. We were looking at starting a family and the time was right for us. So had we thought that we could be in a big recession and which could go on for a couple of years if not beyond and second guessed it and thought we'll wait it out we could still be first time buyers now and still looking so so important to base things on your own circumstances and situation and in fact where we bought it in 2008 it dropped in value due to the credit crunch and wasn't worth probably what we paid for it for a good two or three years we weren't looking to move home in that time, so it didn't actually matter. The key bit was that we were on the housing market. It was a good, solid property. And actually, I think we left our ego at the door, if you like. It wasn't necessarily the prettiest property. It wasn't the most plush areas of the town in Hearn Bay where we lived. But actually, it was a really good size, good size rooms, a really good size plot, so a good size garden. And it really suited us. And over the years, we did quite a bit of DIY, quite a bit of work to it. And where my wife and I had both performed job roles that were remote, where we'd be working from home a fair bit. And in the past probably six or seven years have been running our own businesses. I've had three different garden offices that I've worked out of. And so having the pandemic has almost sort of taken me back in time to when we worked at home and an awful lot of people are now doing that 
And actually garden offices can be quite a, a cheap alternative to converting, say, a loft or to have an extension for additional room. So certainly having worked throughout the winter with a good heater out there, they can be really snug. And so would recommend that as an additional or a, a different option if you are working from home more. And coming back to that compromise on area and the aesthetics of the property, we actually remained there for about 14 years. And all of our three children had their early years there. And so actually, it wasn't a property I think we would have considered had we been buying not from through a family sale. So it goes to show it's a fantastic house. It was well proportioned. It was it was just the location and probably the lack of curb appeal. So really would employ you to be open-minded and it doesn't need to be a forever home. It just needs to be a home where you can make your own, that you can be comfortable and ultimately help get you onto the property ladder. Because once you're on there, if house prices start increasing and going through the roof, you're on there and your house is going up in value with the market. And so, in summary, yes, there are some barriers and some perceived barriers to buying your first home, but most of them aren't insurmountable. And we've talked through some things today. Really key, get some help. Find a whole of market mortgage broker, someone that's going to help look at all of your options for you. And when it comes to your deposit, for example, minimum of a 5% is needed in most situations. So whether you can save some extra money yourself, it might be by moving back with family. It might be family that are actually able to help you out and gift some money towards your deposit. And when it comes to income, if you've got any changes on the horizon, so if you're changing jobs, if you've got a promotion, if you've got a pay rise, get that in writing from your employer or your new employer. And as long as it's within the next three months, we can usually use that income to help with your affordability. And adjust your expectations. So it doesn't have to be an all singing or dancing property that's finished and literally you can move in and not have to do anything. It might be that you have to buy a property that needs a little bit of work. We've said before, get a survey done, particularly if properties need a bit of work, just make sure you understand what work is required and so you've not got any nasty surprises coming out of the woodwork but compromise you may need to have so it might be looking at slightly different areas so be as flexible as you can on your search and hopefully that's been really helpful thanks so much for listening today i really hope that you've enjoyed the episode and found it helpful we'd love you to join us next time when we'll be summarizing everything we've spoken about in season one buying your first home in summary In the meantime, you can help us reach and help many, many more people like yourself by leaving a five-star review on whichever platform you get your podcast and by sharing the podcast on your social media channels. So until next time, take care.